0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon, and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. 17 this morning, a familiar passage of scripture to many, First Samuel chapter number 17, and uh, you know, as we open up to the Old Testament, I believe for the third week in a row, we understand that the Old Testament is not only a book of history, but it also reveals some of the seed plots and the plans of redemption for the human race. But it's also a book that unfolds some truths from the New Testament. Somebody's once said this about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. They go together. And there's pictures that God puts in the Old Testament and some of the things that happen. And listen, He recorded the things that He recorded for a purpose and for a reason, including what we read about today so that they may affect and have an, 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 a, be, able, be able to apply them to our hearts today. So here in 1 Samuel 17 is one of the greatest showdowns in all of history. This is one of those showdowns, one of those accounts and stories that really transcends the the church world, isn't it? Uh, If you follow sports at all, you'll hear this analogy of David and Goliath from time to time. Even in the business world. Uh, There was a a book written on business just a few years ago that was based on David and Goliath. But I want to say that the primary interpretation of the story of David and Goliath is not the primary reason is not intended to offer a lesson in how underdogs can defeat a heavily favored opponent. Or, or I should say, nor is it primarily to instruct us on how we can tackle the giants ranging from debt to weight problems to addiction. If you follow Christianity all, you've heard that application made out of these passages I've done it myself but that's application okay but before we deal with application it's important to understand interpretation by the way that's one of the reasons there gets to be so much confusion Uh, how many people do you ever hear say oh well people have all these different interpretations of the Bible (laughs) well uh, really what people have is a bunch of different applications There's one interpretation for the Bible and for a different passage in the Bible, and then there's applications, ways we apply it after that. When reading your Bible, try to remember what God is doing in Scripture as a whole. Now, I'll tell you, how many of you know that we as human race are kind of selfish people, right? We, We think about ourselves a lot. There's one of the reasons that self-help books sell the way they do. There's a reason why, even if you are not thrilled with your appearance, uh, the way you look, if you look into a picture, and there's a dozen people in that picture, I'll tell you who the first person you're looking for is. Right? Why is that? So it's the same way, Trey. Trey, you're good looking, so I get it, man. But for some of us, There's no excuse, right? Um, But but we do it. It's just who we are. So we do the same thing when we look into the Bible. Once again, that's not all bad, but what it can do is it can distract from a greater message and meaning. It can take away from a greater picture when we read David and Goliath and we're saying, ooh, where am I at here? Where am I at? The first question, there's a better question. Anybody want to guess what it is? Where is Jesus at? Where's Jesus at in this passage? And you may be saying, well, preacher, I don't know if you've read 1 Samuel lately, but Jesus isn't in there. Well, I want to say to you, maybe you haven't read 1 Samuel lately because Jesus is in every chapter. Amen? Now, not appearing in the form He appeared in the New Testament, but He is there in picture. He is there in type, as we'll see in just a moment uh, this morning. So when we look in the Bible, when you read, always start with the whole Bible, Christ-centered interpretation. And so let me present this to you real quickly. After the fall of man, God promised that he would put enmity between Satan and the woman. And between his seed and her seed, God furthermore promised in Genesis 3.15 that This seed, this descendant of the woman, shall bruise the head of Satan, although Satan would bruise the heel of this descendant of the woman, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Folks, it is no coincidence that in the very next chapter, Genesis 4, the very first murder was committed in the Bible. That didn't just happen. You know what was going on? God had just told these words to Satan. So Satan looked at Cain and Abel and he says, Okay, well, it's not going to be the descendant of Cain. It's not going to be him that is the one who's going to bruise my head. It must be Abel. So he inspired Cain, therefore, to kill Abel. Sometime I want to preach a message. Uh, And that's why the Bible says in 1 John that Cain was of that wicked one, which just simply means that Cain was led by the wicked one, by Satan. Sometimes I ought to preach a message on, you may be raising Cain, but God is Abel. Amen, that's a different message. But but regardless, so Cain killed Abel. But we know that Seth, the other son, was born, and it was through Seth that that righteous descendant would continue to come down. So from the very beginning, Satan was trying to put a stop to this descendant of Eve, whoever it would be that would be the one that would promise defeat to him. So throughout the Bible, all throughout history, even up until the time of Bethlehem. Remember what Herod did? He ordered all the the, the boys from two years old and under to be put to death. What was that about? Folks, you say, oh, well, King, King Herod was worried about a challenger to his throne. Yes. But I'm telling you, there's something deeper than that. All the way up until the moment that Richard just sung about a moment ago to where Judas betrayed Jesus. And Satan said, yes! I've been trying for all these years to destroy the seed. I've been trying to destroy that descendant that would bring death to me, that would conquer me. So he, he puts into Judas's heart to betray him. He puts into the religious leaders and the Romans and the whole thing comes to where, alas, Jesus is crucified and Jesus dies on the cross. Well, there may have been a party in hell for about three days. But I'm telling you, it was short-lived because we know on that third day, Jesus rose again. And so Satan did his very worst against the Son of God, as, as in him going to the cross. We know all the time it was God's plan. So what happened? The very best that Satan could do was bruise the heel of Jesus That's the picture. So the crucifixion is looked at as a bruised heel compared to what Jesus did to Satan. In other words, he crushed the head of Satan. So keep that in mind. With what Satan tried to do, God God got the victory after all. So in 1 Samuel 17, we simply see a continuation of the seed of David is about to be killed, you would think. Because David, of course, is the umpth great-grandfather of the Lord Jesus Christ on his mother's side. And so that's what's going on from the big picture. Now, let me bring it down a little bit here. To make it, to, to state real simply, the children of Israel had a very big problem. God's people had a big problem. You ever have a big problem? I don't know if you know it or not, but every one of us have had a very big problem and uh, some of us still may have a very big problem now they figuratively i speak but they literally as well as figuratively had a very big problem look in second samuel 17 verse 2 the bible says and saul and the men of israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of elah and set the battle in array against the philistines i'm not going to have time to deal with this much But understand, they're setting the battle in array, which means they're kind of putting things in order, they're getting things set up, they're getting their formations ready for war. But they're not doing a lot of warring. But continue in verse 3. And the Philistines, so get this picture, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, roughly nine foot six. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was, a, 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 he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of brass. And he had graves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and, and all this added up to around 130 pounds worth of armor. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the spear's head weighed, head weighed 600 shekels of iron, again about 16 pounds. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he cried and he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel. And here it is. He said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And here's the deal. All right? So rather than these armies just going at it with each other, let's just send out a champion. This was something that would occur in these days. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. In other words, you win. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, which is just very discouraged and defeated, and greatly afraid. If you skip down to verse 16, the Bible says, "...and the Philistine drew near morning and evening, and presented himself forty days." The enemy sends its champion. The Bible says he's a champion. Now, the literal meaning of the word champion is that he's a man of the space between. He's a substitute. He's one who battles on behalf of his people. Of course, it also carries the implication that he was a champion. He was probably undefeated, this guy. All right, big dude, fierce dude, here he is. And for 40 days, he is daily walking back and forth, mocking the people of God, mocking God. And if you can just imagine, 40 days of this, army on this side, army on this side, and by the way, from what we understand, the the enemy army had encroached upon their land. It wasn't just a neutral battle. They were gaining ground on the people of God. And so the Philistines on this side, 40 days he would come down there. And can't you just imagine him with his thundering voice and his immense size, rattling his armor, maybe beating his chest? 40 days. And when you read the text, you'll find out he would come down in the morning. Any of you boys want to fight? any of you boys want a piece no and he would mock where's your God where uh, you know are are you not strong are you afraid are you gonna come down then he would come down again in the evening once again hey what about you can you imagine him pointing people out you want to come fight where's your king where's that one in whom you put your trust so they literally got this massive problem facing them as the giant also the big deal is not only would it be scary enough to fight this giant but the stakes are high because if you go and fight this giant and lose to this giant it's going to be on you that your entire people lose their freedom become subjugated lose your identity as a people lose power lose purpose they will be slaves Now, what what does this have to do with you and I today? Well, believe it or not, it has a great deal to do with you and with me. Because all of mankind finds themselves slaves to sin and to guilt. We have no ability to set ourselves free. Sin, guilt, the things that haunt us. And then the ultimate enemy of death menacingly looms at the end of our path. We know something, every one of us. We may not think about it all that much. But in in the midst of the, the, the things that we struggle with on our own as far as sins and transgressions, guilt of the past, shame of the present, fear of the future, that describes where people live. It's a big problem. It's a big mocking problem. And then on top of that, another enemy that we have that is mocking us is that whatever path you're on at the end is death. Now, the statistics are alarming, are they not? Ten in ten people will die. Ten out of ten people in this room are going to die. You're going to die. What are you going to do about that? See, the Bible says death is the final enemy. The death, death is the final enemy. And we all face death. I mean, we, we face death in our families. We, we approach death ourselves. It's going to happen. And uh, you say, well, thank you, preacher. I really come here for the encouraging words and the, uh, <laughs> the uplifting sermons, you know. But it's just a fact. All men are going to die. There is a big giant. There is a big problem. Now, what are the people left to do? What do people do today? When you read the rest of this chapter, you'll find out that when he would come down, the people would run and hide. And they would shake. And they were afraid. And you know what? That's really all people can do in the face of sin and death. Now, some people speak with bravado. It's kind of a funny thing. One of David's brothers, as we'll see in just a moment, one of David's brothers, when he came down, he said, oh, you've just come down to see the battle. Ron, you know what David could have said? What battle? (laughs) Right? Well, Well, don't you see? We've got the battle in array. And we've got the cavalry set up over there. And we've got the infantry right here. We've got the trumpeters back here ready to blow. Yeah, I see you got your stuff together but I don't see much battling going on, all right? So some people can talk a good talk, but when it really comes down to it, you're still a slave to sin. You may may have some remedies to deal with your guilt, your shame, and your fear, but ultimately, it's weak. The world has many things in array. Many churches will get things in array, but are they fighting the battle? You've come to see the battle. Now, some, some will try to ignore the impending defeat may be drowned out by distractions but in the moments of stillness we are reminded of the inescapable reality that awaits one and all. Now some people put their trust in something that's pretty weak and you begin to discover that it's a misplaced trust. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 20, the Israelites said, we want a king like the other nations, why? that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and listen to this and go out before us and fight our battles. If you study the history of Israel, God had been the one offering to fight their battles before. But now they say, we want a king that's going to fight our battles. All right? So think about this. Many people place their trust in something that's bigger than them But when the time of testing comes, it's not big enough to stand against Goliath. What Israel desired most in their rejection of the Lord had now failed them in the worst way. Now if you go back, there's there's so much pictures and depth to 1 Samuel 17. But one of the reasons they chose and loved Saul was he was... The Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody. He was about a foot taller than your average guy. Good looking man, big man, built man. And they thought, we want the big guy. Because we need a big guy that's going to go fight our battles for us. All right. What happens when a bigger guy shows up? So they placed their trust in something that was bigger than them, but it was not as big as the problem they were facing. Let me tell you something. Secular reasoning and philosophy will fail you. Oh, it's bigger than you, and you can pontificate and sound all wise and smart that you watched something on the History Channel or watched a a, a, a 45-minute YouTube video and now you know and understand the philosophies of life. But when it really comes down to it, it's going to fail you. I mean, listen... Human reasoning and philosophy, secular reason and philosophy will fail you when it's put to the test. Some people put their trust in that big, tall Saul, that king of religion. He's going to do it for us. Religion will fight our battles for us. My church will fight our battles. In other words, I'll put my trust in my church. I'll put my trust in the religious uh, duties that I perform. But i promise you one thing that's going to happen when against the Goliath of death, against the Goliath of sin, Saul is hiding in his tent, not ready to face Goliath. And so that's where mankind is. Now, interstage left, right? God wants to present His truth in story. I mean, God wants to give us deep theological truth and just give it to us in a story form. And wouldn't you love to see the movie? Wouldn't you just love to be able to... I, one thing I hope when I get to heaven is, is I want to ask God, God, can I go re rewatch that? I want to see this again. I want to see it. It would have been something to see. Inner stage left a humble servant, David. Now, David has an interesting name. David actually means beloved. So, inner stage left the beloved son. The beloved son who is sent from his father. He sent, the beloved Son is sent from His Father to a people who are facing certain defeat. And specifically, His brethren, His own. Alright? So enter, the, enter David here. Hey David, by the way, where are you from exactly? Oh, I'm from Bethlehem. <laughs> Let, we're going to take a man from Bethlehem that's the beloved Son of the Father. We're going to take a man who is unassuming, but... This unassuming young man, more than likely a young teenager at the time, David, he shows up and he may have been unassuming, but Tyson, you want to know something? He'd already been anointed. He was already anointed. He didn't look like much, but he was anointed, all right? He was already anointed to be the king. Now, if you hadn't caught up with it yet, Jesus also is the beloved Son of the Father. Jesus also, born in Bethlehem, but He came on a mission from His Father. He came as the Anointed One. When you read and and see the word Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name or middle name. Christ is a title. Christ is the title and it's the Messiah. But here's what it is. What is the Messiah? The Messiah is the Anointed One. The anointed one to do what? The anointed one who's to be the king. So the king is coming. But but he doesn't look like much. And when he gets there, David's brothers, what did they say? They mocked him. The Bible says they despised him. They questioned his motives. As we'll see in just a moment. The Bible says that when Jesus came, he was despised and rejected of men. Uh, The Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So I hope you can see the picture that God is giving us here of David. Therefore, when David comes on the scene, it wasn't the the armies didn't start, you know, throwing their helmets up in the air. Woo! He's here, he's here. This is great. Right? I mean, you got big old nine foot six Goliath out there. And then you got a little 14, 15-year-old David coming out there. The Bible says he was a youth and he was ruddy. And the idea behind being ruddy is he just had just beautiful soft skin. He may have had a little, little peach fuzz on his upper lip there. But like they told me when I was younger and probably still to this day, put a little bit of milk on there and the cat can lick that right off, you know. Uh, he was smooth-skinned. He was a youth. He was small. He was a shepherd. They didn't think nothing when they saw this guy. What did they think when they saw Jesus? They didn't think, well, this is him. This is the one. No. One of the reasons they rejected him was because he wasn't what they thought he would look like. He was head and shoulders above everybody, as it were. So they weren't celebrating. They mocked his appearance. Um, The bad thing is Goliath mocked his appearance, but also did his people. And can I say something today? Today, Jesus still draws the same reactions. There could be somebody even sitting here today that we're telling you that when Jesus comes on the scene, hey, the champion's here! The one who's going to deliver you. Hey, let me tell you about the one who you need. And you're looking like, him? Jesus? I don't think so. And, and so, so still to this day, people despise him. People reject him. They say, it can't just be that. It's got to be more. So many people, see, religion appeals to people. Did you know that? In other, A works religion, a do religion? Because they want to be able to say, well, 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 I did something too. You know, I, I'm not over here hiding behind the rocks and hiding from Goliath. I, I, I did something too. But in all reality, Jesus today still draws the same reactions. Now notice verse 32 with me quickly. The Bible says in verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. (laughs) Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. (laughs) So what's he say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Again, get the picture. Here's this big six foot something... King, awesome looking dude, armor, the whole thing, this big army. He's got this little kid coming up to him and saying, Hey, and again, I don't know what David sounded like. I imagine David was, I imagine Goliath was just like, Come on and fight me. I can't even go deep like that. I can imagine David's just like, Hey, don't be afraid. I got this. Don't worry. I'm going to get him. And can you imagine when David, and a little bit, spoiler alert if you hadn't heard the story, but, but, uh, but when David goes out on the battlefield and, and Goliath says, who are you coming out here to me? I'm going to kill you and this and that. And David said, will you just wait to see what I do to you, buddy? You know, I'm going to, uh, you say, preacher, you sound weird right there. But anyway, I'm trying to say, I don't imagine he was coming out there, big, booming. Here's this little guy. Don't be afraid, he tells the king. You're so, listen, oh boy. Don't be afraid. Your servant will go. I'll go. I'll go fight. And again, Jesus put this in. It's like, okay then. We're going to stake our entire, listen to this. You talk about faith. We're going to put our entire future on this guy. Everything is riding on him. And he says, I'll go. Don't be afraid. Hey, fast forward a thousand years. Probably within walking distance of where this conversation is happening there's some shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night right outside of the same city, Bethlehem. And the first thing they say is, Fear not! (laughs) And repeatedly, Jesus said, Fear not! Why? Fear not! I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a champion, which is Christ the Lord. Fear not. You don't have to be afraid. I will deliver you. There's a champion. There's a Savior who comes into the darkness of night and He comes as the light of the world. He did not come heralding strength and size, but He came in the name of the Lord. Chapter 17 here, verse 45, I come to Thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom Thou hast defied. David didn't say, I'm strong. I'm coming in my own way. I'm coming in the name of the Lord. 1 Samuel 17, 46. This day will the, Lord de- will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now when you go back through this chapter, when David first shows up on the scene, he's just showing up as a servant. He's just bringing some cheese and bread uh, for grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers. And their captain. And when he, when he comes out there, all of a sudden he hears the giant out there who, who wants some of this? Your God's not big enough. Y'all aren't strong enough. Nobody can handle me. And there's this little fellow walking out there, and he's like, and, and, and now remember that first he hears this guy, and he's probably thinking to himself, oh man, I can't wait to see somebody run out there. But instead of running out there, he sees them all running and hiding. And David says, wait a second this ain't happening and David didn't say I can take that dude David said there's a God in Israel this guy's mocking God this God's defying the Lord and so in this he took it personally can I say something else here he came Jesus became or just like David walked into a helpless situation Jesus walked into a pretty helpless situation man in darkness and degradation You know, God really does do good in the hearts of people. I I believe that. But man, look around at the world and see what people are capable of. And and, and see how well things go the more they try to uh, excommunicate God out of the equation. See how man does. You know, I I, I mean, it's just like the thing of, uh, you know, the the, the big fight to get the Ten Commandments off uh, out of schools and so forth. Um, You know, because of the Establishment Clause, you know, separation of church and state which was just simply a statement that was made saying that the state needs to stay out of the church's business because the same people who founded this country, the founders, literally had church weekly in the capital. They did not mean for that to be separated. They didn't didn't mean for God. Uh, The Establishment Clause just simply means that the government's not to force a certain religion on somebody. That's all it is. It's kind of ironic. It's kind of sad. Not even kind of ironic. Not even kind of sad. It's ironic and it's devastatingly sad to think about the Supreme Court. No, no, you know what? We want to get, we we need to get the Supreme Court. We ought not have those Ten Commandments on the walls of those poor kids. Wouldn't it be awful if they thought that they shouldn't kill? Terrible. Oh, the oppression, that religion. Uh, Wouldn't it be awful if they thought maybe it's wrong to steal? Wouldn't that be terrible? Or to lie. We don't need all that, but here's another irony. You can find the Ten Commandments, hundreds, if not thousands, of times within the Supreme Court building. Even the actual there's even like there's even like lattice work, uh, maybe not exactly what to call it, but it's all made out of the, uh, the the symbol of the Ten Commandments, hundreds of times, all over the Supreme Court. Wonder why that is? Because they knew when they established it that what they're trying to accomplish isn't what they're trying to accomplish. I stood on the, uh, I stood on the floor of the, uh, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Uh, of of the house, you know, to where the, where the State of the Union is given every year, and where they meet and vote on these different things. I, I was able to stand on that that very floor, and it's really a fascinating thing because around you stand down there, and it's interesting, but you look up around the, uh, the edges of the walls. Uh, I'm having trouble with words today, but but all up here, and you look and you see a bunch of profile pictures, profile faces, and it's it's the different great lawmakers of history, all their profiles. The point going this way on that wall, going this way on that wall. They come up over here and they're going all that way till they finally get to right here. And you know who's looking directly on the proceedings going on? The face of Moses the ultimate lawgiver is the one they're all looking to and he's the one that's looking down on these politicians interesting right anyway that 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 was not on uh, my notes but what i'm just simply trying to say is that what how what, what shape is mankind in bad shape jesus comes on the scene and here's the thing he hears this it wasn't you could you could argue it wasn't his fight but he took it personally david did and Jesus did the same thing. Jesus came to us. Listen, He wasn't the one lost in sin. He wasn't the one facing slavery. He wasn't the one facing a loss of identity. He wasn't the one facing a Christless eternity. But you know what? He took it personally and He came on our behalf. And therefore, David said, The battle is the Lord, is the Lord's. So, in other words, Jesus said, I'll go. Don't fear. I'll go. David said that. Jesus said the same thing. Now just think, as David walked onto the battlefield, he responded to Goliath's words that meant to reassure Israel that they had a better champion than the Philistines. Look at verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Again, don't forget the picture. Little ruddy guy, kid, right? And here's what he's saying to this big old giant. I will take thy head from off thee. He was, he might, can you imagine his voice crack? And I will give thee to the carcasses, I don't know, of the host of the Philistines this day, unto the fowls of the air, unto the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. (laughs) Oh, my friend, who's the champion? The Lord. 1 Samuel, he said, the battle is the Lord's. I'm not the champion, David says. Jesus is the champion. God is the champion. Verse 47, he says this, the battle is the Lord's. He becomes the representative for the whole nation. He becomes the substitute. 1 John 4, 14 says, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He becomes, listen, Jesus is our champion." Jesus is our champion. He's the one who went between two places. He's the one who went ahead of where we are. He's the one who went someplace we couldn't go. And He didn't just go in between, folks. He was hung in between. He was lifted up, as the Bible says, on the cross. He went to do what we cannot do. Now, I love this. What's David do? If you go read it, the Bible says that David, you know the story? It's, a sl- it's not a slingshot. It's a sling. I probably should have had some of these illustrations for you. <clears throat> but it, it was a sling, and, and he'd put the rock in there, and he'd already killed animals with this stuff. He probably practiced on Coke bottles regularly. He had his stuff together, but he goes out there with this sling, and he slings, and he slings, and he slings, and it goes, and that stone hits Goliath in the one vulnerable spot right here. That there was no armor. Armor everywhere, not here. Bam, hits him in the head, down he goes. But I love what David does after that. The Bible then says <clears throat> that David then goes and grabs Goliath's sword and cuts off his head. Just hacks that sucker off. Uh, but here's the cool thing. You know one of the things I like about that? Isn't it not the worst thing and the most classic thing in like a scary movie or, or not necessarily scary but like a, like a thriller or something? And you got this big enemy and, and they're trying to get you and then finally you overcome them and you hit them in the head with a lamp or something and then down they go and their gun flies over here and the first thing you do is go over here and start comforting someone else. Oh my gosh, are you okay? And what happens? The whole time you start looking and it goes to that guy. And he starts to twitch and gets the other, And you're like, what are you doing, you idiot? Pick up the gun and shoot the guy. He's not dead, right? But, but David didn't. You say, what's that got to do with anything? I don't know. But I'm just glad that David didn't let the story go like that. He hit him in the head and then he cut off his head is what he did. All right. It's a beautiful picture. All right. Folks, the picture is Jesus is our champion. He's the one who stood between. Now think about this. How did Jesus achieve this great victory? Keep with the story. How did he keep with the great victory? He died. He died. Oh, oh, okay. Woohoo, hoo you know. Sounds exciting. He died. But what happened was, in his death, he won the ultimate victory. In his resurrection, he cut off Satan's head, and he sealed this victory forever. Jesus is our champion. And that's exactly, remember that verse where it all started? (laughs) It's no accident that David hit this dude in the head and cut off his head. Because God's trying to remind Satan, Satan, I know you wanted to put an end to this thing, but I just want to show you one more time and remind you of something. A little bit of foreshadowing here for you, Satan. Watch what my little guy does to Goliath. Because you're going to get a big old dose of this in a few years. Because you think you're going to be winning when you see Jesus Christ put to death. But what's really going to happen is all you're doing is bruising his heel as he just crushes your head. And just grinds it down into the dirt and the sand. He's reminding him of this. Jesus is our champion. Now, Just when you don't think the story could get any better, it does. David's defeat of Goliath isn't the end. (laughs) Now, because of David's victory, look at verse 52. Look at verse 52 of our text. The Bible says, And the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted. Now, remember, these are the. Hey, you want to know where you're at in the story? Remember, we're all the ones that are hiding. We're all the ones that can't handle this is bigger than us. That's who we are. But now wait a second. The same people are shouting. They seem like they're pretty big hot shots now. And they pursued the Philistines. Because what happened is when the Philistines saw that happen to David, the Philistines turned tail and ran. And what happened was the Israelites shouted and they gave chase after them. Verse 52, And the men of Israel uh, and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And and the wounded of the Philistines fell by the way. And and you go on through there. But here's Here's the cool part. Those people who were defeated now get to be victorious. Right? I can remember, and I, I've told this before to some people, but uh, I would never want to give the impression that I was some kind of tough guy before I got saved. Uh, kind of life I lived, you may have to fight and all that, and that's all well and good. But I wasn't like I was some tough guy or anything. But I can remember uh, that I was, uh, you know, probably around 15, I think I was 14, 15 years old, close to David's age probably, and uh, my buddy, his, his dad was, uh, his dad was a little special. Uh, great guy, but he was, just, he was just a little special, and he would, he would walk everywhere he went, and he'd, he'd walk back, and, but we come to find out, he got home one day, and you could tell he was shaking. And we're like, Jerry, what's going on? And come to find out, these, other, these, these kids were throwing rocks at Jerry. Jerks. Now, these guys, you know, we were like, you know, freshmen at best. Uh, but these guys were like seniors, and so you know, there's there's a little, little bit of a gap there, uh, physically wise, right? Another thing about these dudes that were throwing rocks at him, uh, they were both they were bigger dudes. They were both you know six foot or more, and they were athletes. It was just two or three of them. But when we found out about this, me and Mike, my friend, his son, we weren't having any of that. We knew who these kids were. We knew where they lived, and off to their house we went. And you got to just get the picture. Just little skinny punks, you know. I mean, uh, five foot something, 130, 140 pounds. And here we come, man. I mean, hat backwards. <laughs> Shirt off, you know. I mean, it's go time, man. Fighting clothes on. You ever get your fighting clothes on? You get your clothes you don't mind getting tore up or something, right? Get dirty. Here we come. Hey! And we started calling out through. They were still outside. Hey! We started calling out their name and started basically doing like, hey, we know what y'all did. We're, you know, we're coming to get you whatever it was we said. And, uh, and it, I, don't, I, I don't know what would happen in the fight. We were angry, so maybe we would have did okay. But honestly, I don't know how well we would have really fared, Howie. Um, but it was a cool thing because those boys knew something. Because when they saw us coming, Tyson, at first they seemed like they was like, really? But then all of a sudden something changed. And them boys turned tail, and they ran inside their house. Me and Mike's like, yeah, man, what? <laughs> but what we didn't know is coming up behind us. He kind of reminds me of Kurt. Uh, maybe a little bit taller than Kurt, but just built like Kurt, Roger. This was Mike's son, or stepbrother, Jerry's son-in-law, big old dude. And I mean, wild, and, and that dude, now he was a tough guy. Big old dude. And what we didn't know is coming up behind us was Roger. With fire in his eyes. I mean in a dead out sprint. And them boys decided to change their mind, right? Okay, here's the point that I'm just simply trying to make. It wasn't us they were running from, right? It was Roger. So the victory, folks, wasn't in us. It was in him. The, Philist, the, the Israelites, their victory wasn't in themselves, it was in their champion. And for us as God's people, folks, our, uh, our uh, victory is not in ourselves. Well, here's how, Now listen, here's how you defeat the giants of your life. There's a place for that, but i got a better place for it. And i got a better application than that. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace, listen to this, shall bruise Satan under your feet. Sounds like we might get to do some head stomping too. But who's doing the beating? God, the God of peace, shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. See, it is God that's doing the crushing, but He wants to use our feet to do it. In other words, now we get to be hotshots. Now we get to be the ones running out there. Hey, yeah, you want some, man? You want to fight? And we're the same people that for the last 40 days have been hiding, not wanting any action at all. But not anymore. Because now I've got a champion. Now Jesus has won the battle for me. And now today we get to be hot shots. Not based on anything that we've done, but based on what Jesus did. In other words, the victory of the Christian life is not based in what we do. It's based in what Jesus did. The cross, if you're here and you don't know Christ the Savior, Jesus, He's your champion. He went in between. He went to the cross for you to die for your sins. He rose again the third day. He won the victory so that you could be delivered from sin and from death and from hell. He's your champion. He did it. But the same is true if you're saved by the grace of God. Listen, He has defeated the giants. This is the secret. The secret to facing our giants is that Jesus is our champion. The Bible says He spoiled uh, principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. The Bible says that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. The apostles when returning in Luke 10, 17 the Bible says and the 70 returned again with with joy saying Lord even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold I give you power to step on his head. I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus is the head. We are His body. Therefore, if the victory is won in Christ, we are victorious. Even the weakest of that day got to become a conqueror. You know what's amusing to me today? It really is kind of funny. It's just as funny as me being, you know, a little 130 pound, 5 foot whatever, going after those big athletic kids. It's even funnier, because now, here I am. And guess what? I get to be a champion. And I get to run out after the enemy. And I get to conquer, Tyson. And I get to overcome. And I get to not be beat down by sin. I get to live a life to where I'm not burdened with guilt and sin and shame. I get, to, I get to live a life to where I'm not scared of death. I'm not. Death doesn't scare me. I get to live that life now. Wow. Well, you must be a big old tough guy then. No, no, no. I was over here hiding, man. I couldn't deal with it. But Jesus came. Hey, man. Jesus came. And He did it. And He'll do the same for you. Now, let me give this to you quickly and we'll leave. Think of some of the implications of this. See, one of the potential problems of applying the giant slaying to ourselves, listen to this, what giants are you facing in life? And then we give the secret to defeating this giant. But here's the problem with that. I, again, I'm fine with that in application. I really am. But the interpretation needs to understood first, and here's why. It almost gives the idea that that giant you're facing, you might not be able to beat him. Does not give that implication? Here's how you can do it. But man, if you don't do it this way, you might not be able to beat him. Well, that's not the truth. Hey, listen folks. I mean, Jesus Christ has already defeated the giants. He's defeated every giant I will ever face. What giants are you facing? Well, take these here steps and you'll be able to defeat. No! Take this step. Believe on the Lord. Claim the victory he's already given you. Shout! If you "Preacher, this is a Baptist church, we don't shout here. Uh, shouting, we're Midwestern, we don't shout. I've been to the ball games, don't you lie to me. I've seen you at the concerts, don't you lie to me. These Philistines, these Israelites, woo! They shouted. That's all I got left to do. Amen. How do you defeat your giants? Trust in Jesus because He's already defeated them. Amen. Hallelujah. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Another problem can be the appeal to pride. Look what I've accomplished. Look at all I've overcome. Hey, I'm telling you today, may God help us as the church. Listen, the church of God in this day. Somebody says, oh, it's the last days, preacher. And nobody wants God. And so much is against us. And and whatever else. Let me tell you something. We don't have excuses today. Because there's not a giant we face today that Jesus hasn't already defeated. I don't know what's coming in the future, but whatever it is, we've already won. Yes, sir. And that does not necessarily and by the way, that winning may not look like what you think it looks like. (laughs) May look a lot different. Because there's been most of most of Christian history, Christians have been winning as they go to burn at the stake. They've been winning. So I don't know what it looks like but I can tell you one thing the giants are defeated therefore I ain't scared I ain't worried about it I don't care what it is it's already been defeated hallelujah therefore as the church that's why why we believe that's why we believe we rejoice in what God's done here man we're seeing God save souls people we are literally seeing God change lives here but there's more, amen. There's more. There, there's more that can be done. No, there's not giants that need to be defeated. There's giants that have already been defeated. We just need to shout and go forward and claim the victory. we just got to go on for God. And we've got to continue to witness and do put in, put in the work to make a difference in our day and in our time. And I'm telling you, thank God for everybody. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Man, people, more and more, from the beginning, this church has worked because it works. Amen? In other words, people are willing to say, I'll do it. I'll give it a try. I'll sacrifice. By the way, you know what you usually sacrifice to is your God, right? We we sacrifice to our God, and we say, you know what? It's a little bit of a sacrifice, Lord, but for you, I'll do it. And it's because of that. And people more and more are doing that. You know what we're seeing? More and more lives changed. Yes, we're seeing the building get updated and beautiful. And oh my goodness. And I thank God for every bit of that. But all that is, is a representation of something deeper and greater. The work and the renovation that God's doing in in the hearts of people. In the hearts of our community. In the hearts of other communities surrounding us. Why? Because Jesus has won the battle. Let's all stand, please. And if Sonia would come and play on the piano, we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your patience this morning. I don't know what your need is today, but maybe you're here today and you have, you have not yet put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior. You remember what the Israelites were doing? They said, well, we've, we've got this guy we're trusting and he's going to take care of it for us. But when the time came... Saul was no match now you listen to me there was a time that I thought to myself you know what one day my goods gonna outweigh my bad and you know I'll I'll be okay when that time to stand before God comes but you want to know something that didn't hold up that was no match for the truth that all my righteousness was as filthy rags and that wasn't going to hold up what are you looking to today well I'm a pretty good fella hey I've been baptized Is that what you're trusting in? Because that ain't going to do it. No. Jesus went to the cross, folks. Jesus, why Why did He die on the cross anyway? Why? Why? Because the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for your sin and mine. But Jesus paid the price of that penalty. All we must do is believe on Him. Trust Him. Receive this wonderful gift. Have you done that? You say, I'm not sure. Well, would you like to do that right now? I'm going to invite you in this very moment to do just that. With every head bowed, every eye closed, please, as we just have a moment of prayer, dear Lord Jesus, help some heart to pray this prayer and call on you today. And would you pray, say this prayer from your heart today? Dear Lord Jesus, I want you to be my champion today. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you rose again. And Lord, right now I understand that You did that to pay the penalty for my sins. Lord, I pray that You will please forgive me of my sins and I invite You into my life, Lord, to be my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I trust You. I believe You. And I'm not asking for a feeling. I'm not asking for a sign, Lord, but I'm just going to believe on what You said. I'm going to take You at Your word that if I would call on You, You would save me. Child of God, how about you? How many of us are dealing with giants? You want to know how practical I made this? How God helped me with this? Here's how practical it got with me.